What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good morning. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast. I am sitting here today in our offices in San Francisco, sadly not in the offices of our guests, which we tried to do last week, and a little snafu and traffic messed us up, but uh, I have the pleasure today of interviewing Ashley Wellington Fahey. She is the founder and CEO at The Relish. We'll find out more about what The Relish is in a minute, but welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Um, One of the things that I like to do, just so that people can understand where the folks that we're interviewing, we get to interview a lot of very successful and and fun folks on the show, is where you came from. And you have an interesting background, not one that's a shocker in terms of what you're doing today with The Relish, but uh, I I know you've had account executive and sales executive roles at companies or with organizations like the Seattle Mariners, uh, the San Francisco Giants, Pandora, which I misspelled on my notes, just realizing that, uh, Weather Channel, you know, talk a little bit about what that journey looked like and what did you learn in being some of these well-known but innovative companies? Yeah, um, you know, I I started my career in sports because I was a huge sports fan. So it, I was learning a lot just about the industry on the business side there. Um, one, th- I was also on the broadcast side for both of those teams. So I, I was really struck by how sometimes there was a lack of innovation on the broadcast side and and being someone who was always internally advocating for for kind of moving ahead and and seeing how technology and and especially at the time it was like 2009 things like social could impact the business further and feeling really stuck by um sort of a resistance to change and and moving in that direction i think now those the the broadcast side has has had to move in that direction but weren't at the time Um, So it really gave me a sense of like, what do I want to do with my career? I know that technology and, you know, digital media is really where everything was headed. And clearly now we're there today. Um, So that that was why the shift to Pandora was really big for me. Um, My dream was to actually go work in New York for MLB.com and get into the digital side that way. So Pandora was a really great gateway into um, actually moving into online media and there, they were pre-IPO, so it was kind of more of a late-stage startup, we'll call it. Um, so I got to really understand, you know, the journey through um, the early-stage startup all the way to how do you IPO. And that was, you know, a lot of interesting access just to knowledge there. Um, when I left, I'd actually had kind of a, a stint at a startup after Pandora, and they got acquired um, by Yahoo. So I then had the experience of IPO to startup. Suddenly you don't have a job because it was actually just an aqua hire. So I learned a lot about that process, um, which just was a different side of the business. Um, then from there I thought, well, maybe I want a little more security than that. I'll go to a re- an established company. My job at the Weather Channel, um, although people think Weather Channel, I think of the the TV station, was actually mostly focused on the digital side. And um, for me, it was, again, an experience of now I could take what I did with the sports team where I was really frustrated by the lack of innovation and see a company that's been established a long time and how they think about innovation. So all of those things were really leading me towards this opportunity with the relish where I could start something from the ground up and really think about, okay, 
how can I take an underserved market and how can I how can I think about where we are today and actually be more of a thought leader rather than how can we like innovate from behind and instead innovate forward? So getting into IPO and uh, all the, the startup worlds, you and I did meet at CES, which is sort of the land of technology and startup and established brands. Um, at the Techonomy uh, host uh, the party that we did. And one of the things that you mentioned when we were chatting is that one of your investors, Jesse Draper, uh, is a mutual friend. And so I would love to, she's been a guest on the show. Um, I would love to know how you met her and what has that experience been with her so far? Yeah, uh, Jesse and I met, so when you go to raise money, you know, there's lots of introductions that happen along the way. Um, from my sales background, reaching cold outreaches weren't something I was afraid of, but I've come to learn it's actually better to have an intro. Um, someone did introduce me to Jesse that I had met out in New York. Um, so it was an email introduction, but I also had happened to cold outreach. So it was sort of two-sided. And she took a meeting with me. We talked about what I'm doing. Um, and it just sort of spawned from there. I think Jesse really saw both the market that we were that we're operating in as super underserved. Um, although media wasn't necessarily an investment she she typically makes, we were doing something unique and different. And that's where the relationship was really established from from you know the market that we're serving really aligning well with her thesis. And um, we just hit it off from sort of the beginning. Since then, she has been a huge advocate. All of our investors are. Jesse's really been awesome. It's been great to tap her network. She really understands, you know, female consumer technology businesses. Um, so I've really enjoyed having her on our team. Yeah. Well, she is great. And for anyone that are not anyone that's not familiar with her, a go back and listen to the podcast. <laughs> uh, but she is the founder and managing director, managing partner of uh, Halogen, which does invest in women led and CEO companies. So apropos. Um, and speaking of, there is this company called The Relish, which you did found and you are the CEO of. Um, it's a fascinating business model and one that I was very excited to hear about. I happen to have a wife and two daughters that are uh, all sports fans. They've sort of grown into it. But I know that there has been a little feeling of being disintermediated, I think, by the current environment where, and you touch on this in this Forbes interview that you did, that um, I think a lot of publications play a little bit too much inside baseball to use a inside baseball term, meaning they assume that you know all these things. They assume that you're familiar with the history. They talk a lot about the deep dive, but they don't sort of take that step back and say, look, you may just be coming into it, whether you're a woman or a man. Um, talk about, you know, how did you come up with the relish? What's the premise? And I also like the fact that you're very much social digital. You talked about that earlier with the Weather Channel. So that's a big question, but um, let's let's hear a little bit about that. Yeah, so we're a, a digital sports TV network geared towards female fans. Um, and a, a big reason I wanted to start this was a lot of what you talked about, but having been a sports fan my whole life, most of my life, and also having worked in sports, I, I had had the experience of feeling kind of disenfranchised by the way the sports industry spoke to me as a fan, but then also having the access of sitting at the table sometimes and hearing how teams and leagues thought about their fan bases and still feeling like there was this disconnect. Oftentimes there was either, you know, the 101 crash courses, everyone knows pink and pink, pink and trinket. Um, but there's also uh, another thing where oftentimes women get funneled into this bucket of, um, 
the family bucket. So it's assumed that we're all moms and you know, I'm not a mom. I, I'm not even married. Like I, I am a millennial woman who has all these, you know, interests in sports that aren't just the way that I hear sports on ESPN or some of these other, um, sports media brands. So where I really saw the gap in the market was to create something around the world of sports entertainment geared towards female fans. And, you know, if you look at the other side of the market and the other side being the men's side of the market, uh, there's a tons. I mean, it's a very crowded marketplace and yet there's still brands that are out there able to create a lot of traction and momentum. We'll use barstool sports as an example of that. And there's really this massive white space around the female fan market that I felt really needed to be addressed and just hadn't hadn't really been done the way that I imagined it uh, for myself and for fans like me and my friends. Um, so that was sort of the catalyst for wanting to do something like this. We have, uh, it's obviously a big undertaking to start a media company from the ground up and a brand new brand. Uh, so we've we've been around for a couple of years. It's really been in the last 10 months that we've started to gain that traction. We launched with uh, the brand being mo- mostly on social. We launched with original video programming. We scaled pretty significantly this past year. And now this year we're taking that to new heights. We're really bringing a community sense to this and also alongside that launching this new TV network this year that will um, bring the community into the platform. Well, that's very cool, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. And uh, nice to have a little shout-out for Barstool, who a friend of mine, Erica Nardini, is the female uh, CEO of, and she and I worked together back in the day, so consider yourself patted on the back, Erica. (laughs) Um, And by the way, you called out a word that I realized that I said incorrectly, and I said disintermediated. You said disenfranchised, so that is the more appropriate word. Thank you. Um, So I do want to ask, you know, you mentioned um, you're focused on female audience what have you learned about sort of the female sports fans that's different than the male beyond the things that we would sort of expect would be different i get asked this question a lot and you know we have learned some things that in some cases surprise us a little bit but mostly i would say that this has all just validated what in my gut felt was was going on and that's that there's a nuance to female fans and that's what people haven't really gotten right Um, and maybe I think some of the issue is just that, you know, a team has their own way of messaging things They're They are their own brand and they have their own way of talking to fans. And, um, that just doesn't, oh, it hasn't always connected. So I think having a brand like the relish enables these teams and leagues to have a, you know, a partner that can talk to, to this fan base the way that they aren't necessarily able to, because they don't want to. They don't want to skew one way or the other. They kind of have to stay in the middle. Um, so for us, it's just it's really about our brand voice. It's about how we connect with the kinds of stories that we're telling, uh, and how we really bring the fan in and make her feel like she's a part of a community that um, she hasn't really had a connection to. So let me ask you a follow-on question. I'm guessing it's probably a little bit of a fine line between being inclusive. But at the same time, not being too, and I'm a Red Sox fan, so I'm going to use the term pink hat-ish. And what I mean by that is, is that you run the risk of 
trying to be too, I don't know, feminine or too um, non-hard-hitting to appeal, but I'm sure that there are a ton of fans like yourself, and I know a number of them, that they consider themselves a fan just like any other person would. So how much do you have to think about that, and how much does that play into the decision-making and who you interview, how you interview, how you advertise? Yeah, and that's that's what we think about every single day. Um, You know, at some point, we have to admit that we don't, like every single female fan isn't going to like the relish and that's okay. Just as like every single male fan isn't going to like Barstool, every single fan isn't going to like ESPN. Like we're not, we know that we can't be all to everybody, but we are certainly, we see this massive market opportunity and addressable market that seems to be really resonating with the way that we speak to the, the audience we're talking to. And we really think a lot about entertaining women who care about sports that's really at the the precipice of what we're trying to do um we might not always get it right perfectly every time but when we don't get it right we want to pull from that and and learn and understand it more we interpret that data uh and we apply it to what we're doing so you know yes it's something we think about all the time but we really do try to take a stand and and have an opinion and have our own way of of messaging that so I do have to ask you, because I saw it, I think, on your LinkedIn profile. There's a picture, or I think it's a video of you and Steph Curry. You get a chance to meet, I'm sure, a lot of interesting people. Anyone that has stood out from an athlete perspective, female or male, that you've met where you were just absolutely blown away? Yeah, uh, I have had the chance to meet a lot of awesome athletes. And I hate to call anyone out, because in the the rooms that I've been in, they're oftentimes athletes who are doing in really innovative things. Steph and Andre Ogudala have their tech, sum- their tech summit. That's what I was at. Um, I really admire what they've been doing there. Uh, I've met a few other athletes that just are doing really impressive things beyond the, the court or the field. Um, but one that's just popping out right away right now is Megan Klingenberg. Uh, she was on the, I think it was 2015 uh World Cup team. She's a member of the Portland Thorns. She's total badass. And I met her um, at the Super Bowl. It was that last week, two weeks ago now. Time goes so quickly. Um, I met her at the Super Bowl and I was just blown away by her. Like she's so, you know, she did what she did on the field, does what she does on the field. We were sitting there watching this her at this panel and the way she talks about how she thinks about her career as an athlete, how she thinks about where she wants to take her career in the future when those days, when her you know athlete days are behind her, um, the way that she just thinks about empowering her own life and empowering her fans, like I just really admire her, and um, she was someone that really stuck out most recently. Good. Well, that's a great answer. Thank you for picking a non-obvious one. Um, And so speaking of, we're going to dive a little bit more into sort of the personal aspect of the conversation and what makes you tick. But one of the fun ones that I like to ask, and maybe the guests don't think it's fun, but um, finding out what's something that people maybe don't know about you that you're willing to share that they would be surprised to know. Um, I, I don't know. I always think this is interesting, but I, so I'm in my thirties and I have siblings who are really young. I have a brother that's five years old, a sister that's eight, uh, two teenage siblings. Um, so it's interesting for me, especially running a media company, because I have a like 
lots of people, it's from their children's perspective, like tap into Gen Z. And I have it as a sibling, which I think is just an extra advantage because they are real. They're like actually telling me like it is. They are telling me things that they aren't telling my parents uh, or our parents. And so that's just kind of a fascinating thing. Most people don't don't know unless they are close to me. No, it's a good way to get some intel and you're right. <laughs> yeah. Having them, you know, you're the cool big sis instead of the uh, parent. And I know as a parent of an 18, 16 and 10 year old that we get a lot out of our kids, but maybe not always as much as we'd like and maybe not always as honest as we'd like. Um, the second question I like to find out is, you know, sort of helping people build their library. And I know you must be busy as a founder and CEO. I think you travel a fair amount, but any books that you've read over the last year or two that have inspired you that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, I've I've started reading a lot more in the last couple of years. Last year was all about leadership books. This year, I'm trying to sort of diversify a little more. Last year, one of my favorite books that helped me a ton was the Ben Horowitz book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. It, you know, as a new leader, that one really helped me gut check that like you are going to have to make really hard decisions that that make or break your business and if you don't make them it can be the end of everything so that one just you know timely for me it, it really has struck with me it's something I've used a lot of that um, information to kind of guide me since then um, and then just for fun I just finished Ready Player One which I really liked and recommend for anyone who hasn't read it but most people probably have <laughs> good well I haven't and actually, as luck would have it, it's one of the few business books, the uh, hard hard thing about the hard things, uh, sitting here in my office. And I've read about 50 pages of it. So now I'm inspired to maybe pick that back up and read that again. Uh, last question. And this is the one, ironically, that people have the toughest time with. I think you have an answer. So that's good. But I always like to know sort of what people's thought process is on this. Uh, you're stranded on a deserted island. You can take one album with you and one album only. What album would that be and why? I have some questions. <laughs> One, what kind of device am I using to listen to the music? Can it so be whatever I want? It can theoretically be whatever you want because the idea of having power there or an infinite amount of battery is, you know, one of the things that we yada yada over. So Perfect. It can yeah, be it's like solar powered iPod or something. There you go. Okay, so what I would do then is I would I would go through my Pandora stations or my Spotify. I would look at the top 10 to 12 most listened to songs. And then I would record those onto whatever it is, a CD, MP3 player, whatever, whatever the mechanism is. And that is the album that I would bring on a deserted island. So it's a little bit of a cheat, but I will let you do that. <laughs> DIY. <laughs> that you couldn't do that. So sometimes in the past I've said, I'm going to avoid best ofs, but there have been a few folks that have picked Pandora lists. And uh, I like the innovation there. I like the fact that you asked about the technology. It's one of those things where... You know, I say don't worry about that, but you are you want to know how do how do we make this? Work? If I really, really had to pick just one album, the one that I find myself listening to, uh, going back to, it's a woman named Tristan Prettyman, and it's her album Twenty Three. It's just like an acoustic rock album, and I've never get tired of her. Yes, music. I know her and have listened to her before, so that's a good choice. Well. Thank you so much, um, Ashley, for being here with us today. This is Aaron Strout, the CMO of W2O Group, the host of the What's Know podcast show. We've just spent some time with Ashley Wellington Fahey, who's the founder and CEO of The Relish, and also someone that's got a good sense of humor and uh, really appreciated the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, 
and view the podcast page at whogroup.com slash what to know.